0: Hi, and welcome to The Trail to Austin, the place to get to meet the people of Austin and find out how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morse. And sitting across town, planning his uh, halftime extravaganza for Super Bowl 56 next year is our own Joel McCall.
1: Hello, hello. Hopefully, it'll be on the weekend. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Okay, so this is how you know you're old, all right? i didn't know who sang america the beautiful uh the star spangled banner was lost on me and who the flip the weekend i mean what was that anyway i'm old i admit it there it is well,
2: you want all the kids to get off your lawn right now don't you
1: now <laughs> <laughs> well, that voice you heard
0: is our guest this week um i've I'm assuming- David
1: Buckingham, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend. Mm,
0: that's me.
2: I'd like to say hello to both of you in person, but I would require me to drive across town. So I'm just going to say it over the interwebs, and I'll say hi- hello to everybody else who might be tuning in as well.
1: Uh, thank you, and thank Al Gore for making this all possible.
2: He did invent the internet, didn't he? He did. Absolutely.
1: Very nice.
0: So, David, if you could, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, you know, what your background is and stuff like that, how you wound up here in this city.
2: Okay. Um, Well, I was born at a very young age. Um, I was born in in Houston um, and probably about in the east end of Houston, probably about two to three years after I was born. I... Probably ran into, or at least was very close in proximity to, a man named Joel McCall. He was attending a church that my dad was the preacher at, and my dad had started this experiment—a communal living experiment—in downtown East End of Houston, um, in a very crapped-out neighborhood, in a in a church that was dying. Uh, he was stationed there, and so he kind of started courting the kind of the Jesus hippies. With, you know, uh, coffee houses and, you know, acoustic guitar music and bongo drums. And um, and so people started moving to the neighborhood to be a part of the church and to be a part of this kind of experiment. Which is why, Joel, uh, there was some crossover with Up With People, which Joel was involved with. Um,
1: this is, is pre-Up With
2: People. It was pre-Up With People, Pro- okay.
1: Probably led to to my interest in it.
2: Uh, yeah Yeah. so um anyway so the neighborhood experienced a renaissance uh, because of the church which grew in number um rapidly and so then cbs did a special on my dad um called following the spirit and he kind of achieved a little bit of rock stardom in the whole kind of episcopal anglican somewhat in the catholic world too um and bishops around the world said, we need this kind of vitality here. So uh, when I was four, we moved to the UK and I grew up largely on a small island off the west coast of Scotland until I was 12. Um, and then we moved back to Houston, moved around a whole bunch. Dad was going around kind of seeding these communities. Um, the main industry turn of the community eventually evolved into making albums and making worship books. Um, so I was just around a lot of musicians my whole childhood. I was, I did my first recording session at around age seven. Um, so I just was kind of in it from the beginning. Um, I ended up bouncing around a lot. I ended up going to boarding school cause there was a lot of moving going on. So I got, a, a full ride to an Episcopal boarding school in Florida. Graduated, went to college in Boston for a couple of years. I was studying comparative religion, but really I was playing in a band. So I changed my majors and transferred to University of North Texas and got a degree in jazz performance from there. And after that, I made my way to Austin. I had two sisters who were living here at the time. And I'd been I'd visited them a lot and I loved Austin. And so I came down with the idea to see if I could make a living as a musician in Austin.
1: And what year get- was that?
2: That was 93. I gave myself five years to see if I could make it work. Five years came and went, and I gave myself five years to see if I could make a better living as a musician in Austin. And then those five years came and went, and and I gave myself another five years to make a better living. Um, And I just gave myself another five years last year. So, (laughs) Uh, you know, I. I keep on thinking I might I'd have to do something like growing up or something one day, but um, this yeah. just keeps rolling along and I'm eternally grateful and I'm, I'm a very grateful person for it.
0: Oh, that's great. Um, that's, you know, I can't think of a, usually what happens is somebody gets a degree from here in uh, UT and they hang around for a while trying to get a job back in the day, you know, when you first yeah. got here and then they wind up, oh, I gotta go to Dallas or Houston and get a job. You had a degree in music, so this was a natural place for you to come. <laughs> it was.
2: Yeah, it was, um, especially since uh, my sisters were here. Actually, what I, what I did was I, my, mom, my father had died just uh, within a year and a half of my graduation uh, before I graduated from college. My mother, after he died, became ill. And so I went to North Carolina where she was living with her mom to kind of just help out and because I didn't really know what I was doing. So I spent about eight or nine months in North Carolina, but I was withering on the vine. Um, I was driving, you know, our hour and forty five minutes to play one gig per week. Um, and so I it was back in the days of Yellow Pages. My sister sent me the yellow pages of all the parochial schools in Austin. Um, and I sent my resume out to all of the private parochial schools in Austin. Um, and St. Stephen's here, Episcopal, um, the guy who was kind of headed up their guitar program was a graduate of North Texas. Um, so he saw that I just graduated from North Texas. Plus, I had been to kind of a sister school of theirs, St. Andrews in Boca Raton, Florida. So they were like, well, this guy kind of probably will fit in. So they hired me. And that's why I moved to Austin, actually, was to teach guitar at St. Stephen's School.
1: Nice. Yeah
0: so you guys almost crossed paths when you were younger but how did you wind up hooking up with joel <laughs> i
1: remember seeing him oh, okay.
2: i don't remember seeing him but i I, I, mean, imagine, I can i can only imagine i mean the church I can
1: have a conversation just just like now but uh he, he, i was precocious he didn't have a whole lot to allow at that point <laughs> Only yeah. we go 40 years he doesn't write he doesn't call
2: <laughs> yeah so when when uh i was playing with my then wife um her name is Julie milanta uh we're no longer husband and wife but we're very good friends um and i was playing with her she had just kind of moved to town and um i was kind of like helping her just find her footing and get some gigs. And so she booked herself at the New World Deli. And so I went to play with her there. Um, and I had not played at the New World Deli yet. And the fellow who booked it was there to check it out. And his name was Joel McCall. So oh, ironic. Yeah. So I we played that and he came up after and went, so that last name of yours, Polkingham, like is that the Polkingham, Polkingham that, because uh, my family kind of was, pretty well known in uh, the Episcopal Church and in a lot of church circles. My mom ended up um, doing really amazing things with church music. Uh, she edited the Episcopal hymnal. She has got hymns in it. Um, so she also, so anyway, he said, are you, is that the pulkingham you are? And I said, yes. And then he said, well, I met your dad and I went to the Church of Redeemer back in 1970 or 71. And I was like, well, I would have been there looking at you. <laughs> so
1: that's how joel and i met
0: i'm sure he was a vision back then
1: (laughs) continue the story a little bit yeah uh we uh we compared notes we we kind of hit it off right away had we known what it would have led to we may have thought twice about it (laughs) Uh, but we decided to do a gig together at, at new world deli On December 9th, actually, was the date. Right. I remember this shit. (laughs) But two days before we were to play at the deli, David calls me up and says, Hey, Joel, I hate to do this, but I got to back out. I got a better offer. I was naturally upset. (laughs) It's like, you will never work in this town again. Right. He goes, yeah, I, I got to play with Robert Plant. It's like, oh, okay. Well, you win. <laughs> so.
2: Actually, it was you who said, okay, well, can I ask what the gig is? <laughs> oh, well.
1: <laughs> what year was, I was that? Like, I could not comprehend a better gig. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that?
2: 2000 and 13 was it or yeah something
1: like that 13,
2: 14 30. i think it was 2014. yeah 13 13.
1: so this is a perfect lead-in uh david you've i i have to state for the record that uh you're one of my favorite guitarists of all time ah uh one of the one of the reasons is you have this incredible breadth of abilities and, and tastes and from classical to jazz to Latin to Brazilian to cumbias uh, kind of touch on how you have a, how you've grown such a wide repertoire um.
2: Well, there could be a a tad bit of ADD involved um, (laughs) and a tad bit of obsessive compulsive disorder involved, Mm -hmm. but um, I just love music. Um, Music is food to me and I don't want to eat hamburgers every day, you know, Um, so things catch my ear and I'm like, that's fantastic. I love that. And and then I go on a a deep dive and, and kind of... I've immersed myself in a number of things. I'm really... Um, I i wouldn't even call myself a jack of all trades. I just... I like a lot of things, you know. Um, I'm certainly not a master of any. Um, and I've just... The good news is, is I have the rest of my life to just work on getting better. Um, but I... You know, I grew up with a lot of folk music and a lot of classical music. Um, and I had... Being growing up with a bunch of hippies and being the youngest of six, there was a lot of kind of the rock and roll of the sixties and seventies floating around. Um, so I kind of grew up on that whole staple of things. I not I was not very well ja, ja, uh, versed in jazz. Um, I started getting into jazz, I guess, probably around my junior year, senior year in high school. Um, I threw, actually, the conduit was, there was a couple of them. It was Miles Davis, Oscar Peterson, and Steely Dan. Um, And I would put these albums on, and I would try and play along with it, and my G chord didn't work on any of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, thought, hey, what's
2: going on here? (laughs) So... I was like, I should go study jazz. What a great idea, which kind of put me behind the eight ball. Uh, The University of North Texas is a really competitive, intense program. And to be honest with you, I was under the gun the whole time and and kind of barely hanging on, um, making playing catch up the whole time. You know, Uh, I, in fact, decided that I'd made a terrible mistake and I went to change my major and found that if I changed my major, I'd be there for a year longer than if I didn't. And I was like, no, I, okay, head down, get out of here. So um, that gave me a super, you know, like a four year crash course in jazz. And I grew to love it very, very, very much. Um, and so in the jazz world, there was kind of like there's swing and there's bebop. And people were playing a lot of bebop and bebop would be people like, you know, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, stuff like that. And then you get past that into hard bop and it's, it's really an intense art form, and I respect it amaz- very much, but I could never, it's like a, it's a mindset, and I could never get myself in that the bop, bebop mindset. Um, one of the alternatives would be like, you know, when you'd have to do like recitals and stuff, they'd be like, you've got to do a swing tune, you've got to do a bop tune, you've got to do a Latin tune. And I found that every time I would be going into the Latin tune, I'd be like, oh, God, this, I love this. This feels so good to me. Um, so I kind of leant into that direction more, um, it, when I was studying jazz, I just loved it. Um, it appealed to me more than that. And when I came to town, um, it was shortly after I got to town, you know, that whole swing revival with the cherry popping and daddies and all of that was happening. Um, and I was playing in some swing bands with, you know, singers and doing old swing tunes and, you know, um, And one of the guys I was there was a bass player in some of these projects that I was, you know, showing up to play with. He was in a Latin band um, and they had a guy not show for a gig. And basically what they needed was someone who could solo, who could improvise, um, you know, in between verses and things like that. And so he was like, hey, man, you ever played salsa before? And I was like, no. And he said, you want to come and play and basically just solo um for this gig so <laughs> i had was a baptism in fire i the the band leader was a guy named christian fernandez and he's a 100 percent calo gypsy from marseille and quintilingual and traveled the world playing music and this guy could make people dance it was like it was the power of rhythm compelled them when he would play like we could have all had a heart attack. And if he kept doing what he was doing, people would have just not even noticed he was one of a true powerhouse anyway. So basically what would happen is he would turn around for the beginning of the song and he would play what he wanted me to play. And then once I had it, he would turn around, and he'd start the song now in salsa music. There's one thing that happens, like if a song's going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four salsa. Puts the emphasis on the and a two and on the beat four so the downbeat one like no one's playing it so it's like one and three four and three four and three four and i would be like where's one (laughs) Where, where does this begin and i would inevitably turn it over and mess it up and he would turn around and go like this and show me where i needed to be again and then turn back around that's how that gig went um and it just was a kick in the butt. The other thing that was great about it was we made people dance so much. And there was such joy of people dancing, like just a whole room. You could just see heads just up and down. And we ended up, it, it was a band called Tamer, which means your mother in French. And we ended up just uh, just killing it in town for a good five or six years, you know, winning the best world music Best dance band. We would win the best traditional Mexican band, although we didn't play any traditional Mexican music. Uh, but people really loved it, and we really, we really did well. We could, we could play in Austin five nights a week at least, because um, we could play like the Elephant Room and do a jazz set. We could play Miguel's La Bodega and do a straight salsa set. We could play at that time either the Mercury or the White Rabbit and do more of like a funk Latin set. Um, So we, I that really is where my teeth got massively cut with with playing Latin music. Uh, It wasn't just Latin jazz that I had done in college. It was like playing, you know, with Cubans playing like son's and boleros and salsas and rumbas and all of that, Um, and also a lot of Brazilian music. So that's a very long winded way to tell you how I got
1: into all of that. Excellent. Well, let's take a second and and hear some of what you uh, yeah what leaned from that time.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, this is a song. It's called Odeon. Um, it is written by a man named Ernesto Nazareth, who's a Brazilian guy, um, and it's a style of music that's called Choro which is C-H-O-R-O, uh, or chorinho, which is the diminutive, and chorar, chorar, like in Spanish, means to cry. So this style of music is like, it, it means to have a little cry. And it's like ragtime. It's parlor music. It was before the golden age of radio came along, where people had to actually entertain themselves uh, in the parlor or on the porch. Um, and it predates ragtime by a couple decades. It's typified by African rhythms and kind of western classical harmonies um so it's kind of got the best of both worlds in that um and this is uh this this is the kind of music that kind of stole my heart for a good eight years to ten years it's like it's when i would have time to practice whatever i wanted it's all i wanted to do was play Shoto for a, for quite a while um and i did an album called david Pokingham plays guitar volume one there's a volume one and there's a volume three uh i can't count and um, so this is off of David awesome Polkingham and- <laughs> yeah yeah I, I lost track um, this is off of volume 1 David volume, David Polkingham plays guitar volume 1
1: fantastic let's hear Odeon
0: alright we'll give that a listen we'll be right back mm. And that was Odium by our guest today, uh, David Polkingham. Um, so, uh, hopefully, you enjoyed it. That's from his um, his David Plays Guitar Volume One. <laughs> okay. So, give that a listen if you if you enjoyed it. Um, that's the album to check out, and we'll probably check another song out later in the show. But let's get back to.
1: How did you come up with the title for that CD?
0: I'm a very literal
1: guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn creative too, I might add. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? Uh, so, uh, let me back up a little bit. You uh, spent many years with a guy named Alejandro Escovedo.
2: That's correct. I did. Yeah, um, I spent a good ten years at the uh, at the the right hand of the man, as they would say. Um, yeah, I am. Um, so. He was doing an Austin City Limits taping um, and it was a theatrical piece that he'd written the music for called By the Hand of the Father. And the production company was out of L.A. And so all the actors and a majority of the musicians were from there. And some of the musicians were from here and the tech crew was from here. And it was, you know, shot at the old uh, Austin City Limits studio in, uh, in, in the UT building. And the guitarist backed out like four days out. And so he called around and he called a guy named Michael Crockett, who does the Horizontes radio show on KUT, which is a, a weekly radio show, which is a kind of a survey of American music, but concentrated on Latin American music. And he said, I need a guy who can play some country and can play some blues, but most importantly, can play requinto style, bolero and cumbias. Um, do you know anybody who can do that? And Michael Crockett said, there is a guy who sounds like a, a Chicano, but he's not at all. And he is who I would recommend. And so I got a call from Alejandro saying, hey, is this David Polkingham? And I said, yes. And he said, this is Alejandro Escovedo. I said, oh, I know who you are. And he said, would you play a gig with me? And I said, absolutely. And, uh, and he said, uh, I said, well, when is it? And he goes, it's Tuesday. And this was on a Saturday. Uh, and I go, oh, okay, well, what is it? He goes, it's Austin City Limits. I'm like, oh, okay, I should probably learn some music now. <laughs> um, so I ended up kind of stealing that guy's gig, although it wasn't necessarily stealing. He kind of gave it away. And there was a series of, of other gigs of that run that uh, where we traveled and did By the Hand of the Father as a theater piece in different theaters in the United States. And... At that point in time, Alejandro's asked me, "Can you rock?" And I'd never played rock before in my life. Um, I'd never been that kid with the flying V and the Marshall stack. I was always really in love with acoustic music, mostly, um, and I was petrified of being the guitarist that was too loud. So, but I said, "Absolutely, I can rock." Um, and so that kind of started me getting into his other projects. Um, he did a number of projects where he he did a tour with a string quartet. So it was me and him and then two violins and two cellists. Um, and all of the through the years, over 10 years, basically, I kind of elbowed my way into every single situation and became kind of his uh, his music director um, for a lot of gigs um, and traveled the world a lot um, playing with him. Yeah. And learned. a a fantastic amount from that man
0: well he's quite the legend here in austin so you know he is indeed yeah I'm actually yeah. probably kind of everywhere but at least here yeah. <laughs> so.
2: yeah yeah well definitely he's um he's uh, he's that he's that troubadour guy that storyteller i mean he's it was really interesting because what he does is he paints with emotion and words and puts it to a backdrop of music. Um, and he's very, very good at it. Um, and he actually taught me one of the most important things I needed to learn um, in, my, in my growth uh, as a musician and, and as a person where he's, he would say to me, you know, I can never do it. I'd never be able to do what you do, but I want you to meet me a little bit in the middle and kind of do what I do. And I want you to not play notes anymore. I want you to play sounds. And when I was a kid, I would get completely enthralled with just sounds. And I had no idea what notes they were, but they would put me in a mood and they would make me feel like doing something. And he allowed me to tap back into that, you know, uh, which was a really important thing for me to learn at that time. Um, it really, it filled out uh, my quiver as it were with, with more arrows uh, that, that, were, that were straight and true Um, And I got really enamored of just sound again um, and not making it uh, a mental or intellectual process that also appeals to the heart, but just having it be an emotive process, like turn the brain off, turn the heart up and go. And uh, that was that I'll be eternally grateful that he helped me with that and mentored that in
1: me. So as that relationship matured, and uh, you did go separate ways, Mm -hmm. uh, what was the motivation and what was your dream at that point? What did you want to accomplish?
2: Um, Well, I thought that I'd gotten to a place where I felt that in order for me to continue growing and to feel good about what I was doing, I needed to... uh, I'm really good at facilitating things for others. It's kind of a natural ability I have. I think it comes from growing up communally. Um, I just It's really easy for me to wear a hat to help somebody do their thing, but I'd never really done it for myself. And so I was like, I need to do this now. I need to make an album. And so that's when I made David Polkingham plays guitar volume one. Um, and then I ended up having the opportunity to do some traveling, like go over to Europe and go to Scandinavia just with this album and do some master classes and do some touring and do some shows. Um, and that started increasingly interfering with Alejandro's schedule, which a lot of times, to be completely frank, was not available until maybe two weeks before it was going to happen. Um, so me planning something six months out became problematic. Um, so at that point in time, it was like, well, um, this is important for me to do and him doing his thing is important for him to do. So we, we parted company. Um, and that was a lot of the motivation for that was just, I needed to kind of get out of the nest and, and flap my own wings on my own account for a while.
0: Well, so who are I, some of the other names that you played with? We might know, cause I think there's a few.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I've been super fortunate to. Um, well, I played. I've been able. I've gotten to play with Bruce Springsteen. I've gotten to play with Robert Plant. I've gotten to play with Joan Baez, with Lila Downs, with Steve Earle. have gotten to play with Jackson Brown. I've gotten to play with Graham Parker. I've gotten to play with Ian Hunter. I've gotten to play with. Jeez, um, who else? just a lot of a lot of people like that
0: that's a list <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> leave Helm I gotta say leave Helm. yeah um wow. no it's it's been fantastic it's been really fantastic
1: so you've done uh you had mentioned some names you've been involved with a tour over the last couple of years yeah uh tell us a little bit about that
2: um so I ended up After Alejandro and I split up, um, I ended up, I didn't have uh, any traveling gigs for a while. I was here in Austin and living down the street from me was Patty Griffin and Robert Plant. And we have a lot of mutual friends and I would find myself oftentimes on a Friday night at midnight drinking wine and playing like Dolly Parton tunes with Robert Plant and Patty Griffin um, and, you know, forming a friendship. And um, so then... A fellow named Michael Fercasso, a fantastic songwriter here in town, was on tour, got in a car wreck, broke his arm, had to cancel the tour, lost a bunch of money. So Patty and Robert did these secret special shows at the Continental Club, two of them, in order to raise money for that. And Robert called me up and said, you know, I, I'm putting a band together, hey, you good at uh, being a director, you know, would you do that? And I was like, sure, I'd love to. Um, so we did that, and then after that, Patty was like, so you're not touring now? And I said, no. And she was like, would you want to tour with me? And I said, absolutely. It's been something I've been wanting to do for years. Um, I'd been trying to conjure that for a long time, and it happened. So I started touring with her, and then she has been involved in a number of charitable causes through the Jesuit Refugee Services, um, and also, so like, they've done a bunch of work like going to Cambodia and and doing a bunch of concerts and stuff to raise awareness for landmines and and for removal of landmines, because some some of these countries still have landmines from the Vietnam War era that have not been stepped on yet, you know, um, and by the thousands. And they're still killing people to this day. Um, So she's involved in some of that stuff. So there was a tour called uh, Lampedusa, um, which was raising money for uh, educating people in refugee camps. The average amount of time between when somebody is displaced from their home, whether it's through poverty or war or whatever, to the place where they're reintegrated into a new society is the average is 18 years. Wow! So a lot of kids are in these camps for the entire scholastic journey and they don't have education that's that's available to them. And a lot of them, if they're not educated, they stand a larger chance of being radicalized, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the thrust of, of these tours. And the deal was it would be like a core group. Um, the core group would be Steve Earle, Emmylou Harris, um, and Patty, um, and maybe one other. Um, and then we do like a 14 date tour. And we'd pick up local talent in whatever market we were in. Um, so, and I was kind of like the boy Friday. I was just like the 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 guy who sat on the end, who nobody knew who he was, who accompanied people who needed accompanying. <laughs> it, would, it would be really funny, actually, because they would be like... Emmy Lou would go out, and she would introduce all the artists, and then finally the captain of this ship, Steve Earl, and Steve Earl would come in, and everyone would clap, yay! And then this dude would just kind of sidle in to the last seat on the left and sit down very quietly. <laughs> 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 um, and then eventually, you know, throughout the show, that I would get introduced, and you know, and all of that. So yeah, did um, did three of uh, uh, those tours like that. Um, and that's where I got to play with and hang out with a lot of these people that I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Nice. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So, Joel, did you? what was it you
1: wanted to... I thought you had a follow-up there. Well, no, it's just... Uh, I remember seeing a picture of you on this tour, and yeah. Jackson Brown is staring intently at your hands. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going... Is that a G chord? What is that? <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. Yeah. That was um that was a, that was a really fun that was really fun to, uh, couple of nights getting to, you know, getting to play a sold-out show at the town hall in Manhattan with Jackson. Wow. And, yeah.
1: You know. Um, so you told me a story once about Robert Plant trying to rent a small PA system.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yes. So when we were going to do these um, the benefits that I told you about at the Continental Club, we were going to rehearse. And he was like, well, I need to buy, you know, I need to go get a PA. So you know, like, he would call me and be like, I need this. I need this. What should I do? do you, I tell you what, do you have any time today? And I'd be like, let me check my calendar. Yes, I do. Um, so I'd go run errands with him in town and it was, it was fantastic fun. But one time we, we went to, uh, to uh, rock and roll rentals and, um, we went on on a Monday. Right. And he goes up to the counter and he's got a baseball cap on and he just kind of looks like a Austin hippie, dude, you know, um, at first encounter. And so he goes up to the to the counter and he says, yeah, I need to I need to rent a small PA like, you know, just a six channel like that one right there. And the guy was like, uh, it's returns day, man. He's like, what? Uh, it's returns day. We don't rent today. He's like, oh, and I went, oh, that's right. Mondays. They're just getting all the stuff back from the weekend. Um, and so he says, well, can I reserve one? He's like, uh, we don't do reservations, man. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh God. Well, so he also wanted like a mandolin stand and some other stuff that he wanted to buy. I'm like, all right, well, we can deal with that later. Let's go and get this other stuff. So we go and get the stuff he wants. And then we come back to the counter, at which point in time, the guy, somebody had clearly come up and gone, that's Robert Plant. And so the guy was standing there with the PA going, I, I can put this in your car if you like, <laughs> like, then they all just start falling over themselves. So then he has to uh, he has to fill out an application for Rock and Roll Rentals where you have to give your mom's phone number. <laughs> <laughs> which he's looking at it and he points to the Rock and Roll you know emblem on uh, you know at the top of the page and he says to me, "I helped invent it and I do not recognize it." <laughs> <laughs> at which point in time I said, "Hey, Robert." I already have an account here. Do you just want to put it on my account? He was like, yeah, that'd be great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, yeah. that's so a, go ahead. You've, uh, you've been touring with Patty and, uh, you've gone, gosh, all over the world, pretty much with her. Yeah. Uh, she's had, uh, i I guess some health issues and of course with the pandemic there hasn't been a whole lot of touring going on what have you been doing
2: well there was a lot of hard pivots going on it was quite a shame too because we just had the last album we had done it just won the grammy for best folk and we were just out of the gates and it was going to be a year and a half of solid awesome work and then uh, we were in australia when we decided we needed to get home quick because Qantas that day had just canceled 87 flights and that was our ride home. So we got home as soon as we could. And so I started doing live streams from my living room, live from my living room with my housemate, who's a Canadian fellow named Jay Styles. And uh, we just kind of did it just to be busy doing something. Um, And people really seemed to enjoy it. You know, we'd end up especially the first month and a half to two months of it, you know, like April and May, we'd have 1,500 to 1,800 people tuning in um, on three continents. And I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> I don't know why I ever left the house. Um, and people were very, very generous too in their tipping. So we, I did that a lot. Um, I started uh, a Patreon page. Uh, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's, um, it's a platform by which you can basically get subscribers to subscribe to you, and you give them whatever creative content that you come up with. Um, so I started a Patreon page. Mine is focused on music, travel, and cooking. Um, these are the things I've gotten, I think, okay at in my 50-something years here. Um, and then... Uh, I started doing a lot more recording of my own, uh, you know, for people, studio work from my own house. It used, I never wanted to be an engineer. Um, I don't necessarily have the right mind for it. Um, I'd much rather leave that to people who are really good at it. So I would always go to studios to do work, um, but that was off the table. So I, I brushed up the skills that I have on using, uh, you know, Logic, a recording platform, and I started doing that um teaching over zoom you know um yeah those kind of things um and have ended up fairly fairly busy um in fact to be honest with you it's been it's been really great um the whole pandemic speed of life it suits me um if i'm not out traveling and working for a living i'm I'm a kind of a homebody and I like a routine. I like to swim every day. I like to exercise every day and I like to cook good food every day and eat well. And, and it really that accommodates this pandemic has accommodated that for me quite well. Um, a lot of practicing of guitar, um, reading. So that's been my pandemic experience. Um, it's been there's been a lot of gifts in it, a lot of silver linings.
0: So I'm going to dive down on one of those things you said. What? Tell us a little about this cooking classes you're teaching and stuff. What types of food? What are you?
2: Um, I basically just do videos, mm-hmm. instructional videos of some of my favorite things to cook, and then I make a soundtrack for it. So if you subscribe to my Patreon, like one, two times a month, I'll just I'll do a video of a song. Um, once a month. I'll do a video of travel, which when I start touring again, will be a lot more diverse. Um, you know, I, I have been going to upstate New York fairly regularly during this pandemic to write an album with a buddy of mine, uh, a singer. Um, so like I would make, I would make videos of me, you know, doing things in New York. And then I put a soundtrack to that. And then I make videos of me cooking the last thing, last video. In fact, I just today made a soundtrack for, uh, curried red, red lentil, uh, recipe that i like to make nice so yeah things things like that um you know um just dishes that that i like to make and that i like to eat and that i feel like i can be consistent at so that when i make a video of it it doesn't completely fail (laughs) so
1: so as your solo career has gone uh, gone on uh i know you came out with a uh a CD that was studio produced had some pretty well-known musicians on it, including your your uh, current employer.
2: Yes, yeah. Patty. Uh, yeah.
1: Tell us about uh, that experience.
2: So I did uh, I did two albums of just instrumental uh, music, um, and none of it original is all covers. Um, just songs and melodies that I've always loved, and then I've been I've been always write written songs. I just haven't taken them very seriously, um, and I was like I felt like I needed to start honoring that in myself a little bit more, and start taking them more seriously. So I got a collection of them that I thought I liked, and got the funds together and and made a, uh, a singer-songwriter album of all original music. I was very fortunate to have uh, uh, the Tosca strings play on it and a fellow named Stephen Barber, who's a fantastic arranger and orchestrator, did the uh, orchestrations on that. I had Lloyd Maines uh, give me some pedal steel on it. Um, and I had Patty Griffin singing on the title track, which is called Little Pearl. Um, a lot of this, a number of the songs too were co-written with a poet friend of mine, his name is Daniel Wolf. Wolf has two Fs at the end. He's a fantastic writer and poet uh, that I, I'd met in my touring world, um, and we'd struck up a friendship. And uh, so he and I have collaborated on a number of songs. Um, so yeah, it was a very important thing for me to make that album. It was I'd made so many albums for other people, and I'd never done it for myself. Um, so it was very good to do.
1: Well, let's uh, let's take a second and listen to the title cut.
2: Yeah, Little uh, Pearl. Yeah,
1: little wonderful. Pearl.
0: All right. So we're going to listen to Little Pearl, and we'll be back in just a second.
2: Take a deep breath. Dive in the dark. Drop to a depth. Almost too far. Feel the pressure of time The weight of the world And you and I will somehow find A little pearl
1: Continents drift Mountains erupt
2: to reach, there's no way to stop. What's in the
0: earth? Unwind, right in the edge of the curve. You and I somehow
1: find a little pearl.
2: We may never never find find this light light again I wonder how we ever
1: One speck of sand Stuck to my heart Maybe one day you will learn
2: How to wait on the world It's only a matter of time
0: And we're back, and that was Little Pearl by our guest David Polkingham. Um, so Joel, I think, had a question for David about something. No. Did he decide not no. to? <laughs> this is a family. Yeah. This is a family show, right? Yeah, 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 well, yeah more or less. Yeah. We certainly sure don't did. want to uh, get into anybody's weird habits that might scare <laughs> people away. So, yeah. yeah.
1: So. so we, Go ahead, Joel. Well, I was going to ask about this Patreon and how how it's working and is it growing and and uh, it certainly seems to be uh, a new idea that's a throwback to the Renaissance.
2: Well, in a, in a way, I mean, to have to have patron have patrons that are supporting right. you, um, it's kind of like the yeah, it's kind of like the that the, the Renaissance patron business model combined with the Time Magazine subscription business model. <clears throat> you know, um, It's been, it's been great. It's, you know, it's not, uh, it hasn't been massive. Um, I have, I think 25 subscribers. Um, and during the pandemic, I basically, I divided it into three tiers. So there's a, there's a five, a 15 and a $30 subscription. But during the pandemic, I was like, if you even just subscribe at a dollar, you get all the content, you know. Um, <clears throat> so it it brings in it brings in some money, uh, and it also it's just a really good organizational thing for me to know that you know to, to sit down and be like I I need to produce something I need to create something, um, and the great thing about it is is that. You can you can play stuff that you've played your entire life and never recorded or whatever, and sit down and just record it and be like, oh hey, that's that's how that's been sounding this whole time. That's not bad. Ah, well, I'm gonna go ahead and put that up, you know. And so it's you know you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time, um, <clears throat> and that's that's also a liberating thing, you know. Um, I I did in October. I was. I went up to upstate New York, and I, I played a number of backyard private concerts along the way, and one of them I recorded, and it turned out well visually and and orally, and I just diced that up, and lo and behold, I had you know 17 videos that I can disperse and give to people, you know, um, that kind of thing. It's 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 good to it's good to see how you can be creative with the stuff you you already do,
0: you know, so.
2: Nice. Yeah, it's been a very good, a very good experience.
0: I'm pretty sure, Joel, that there's 20 people who would pay us not to talk and just let our guests talk all the time.
1: You know, there's a business model for you. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we've had uh, various people on the podcast uh, talking about life in Austin you know that's that's no. what this is, is trail to austin you've been here what 28 years Close, yeah uh, i know you and i have had conversations about this what uh how do you feel about the way austin is evolving um well <clears throat>
2: It's interesting. I think that you basically have to get to a place of peace with the dynamic of you grow or you die. And that's just the way it is. So Austin is growing. And um, that has meant that a lot of money has come here. A lot more money has been dropped into this little ecosystem in the last 15 years was here before and it's also another thing that you have to come to peace with which is when a bunch of money shows up the soulfulness of a place has to go Uh, it's just the way it is you know the the reason that people like austin you know because it's weird and it's funky and it's laid back and you know all those people who gave it that kind of feel a lot of them can't afford to be here now so then they leave and then all of a sudden, the reason that people thought that this place was cool, it gets it gets less cool. The more money comes in, you know. It's just the way it is. So, there's sadness about it, you know. Um, but you can't stop. Like, it's a wind. It's just ridiculous to blow against that wind, I think. Um, it's going to happen. So, the thing that I think should happen is that care should be taken. That... Some of the, you know, some of the indigenous peoples (laughs) of (laughs) Austin get to remain that way um, and can be a touchstone for this place so that it basically doesn't turn into Dallas um, and or Houston, um, you know, and and just become basically a a great big monolithic homage to car dealerships and malls, you know. Um, So that's kind of how I feel about it. I. You know, I'm sad to see some things go, Uh, I think, more than ever in the, you know, in my time here in the last five years or so. I've thought more than ever about leaving. Um, And, you know, I've seen a lot of the world and there are a lot of great places out there. There are a lot of places that aren't nearly as enamored with consumerism. Um, And they resonate with me. Uh, so, So where would
1: you go?
2: Well, I mean, I don't know. You know, there there are a lot of places. I I I think the Netherlands are fantastic. I love Ireland. I've spent a lot of time in Italy. I was married to an Italian woman for a while. Um, I love all of those places. Uh, The nuts and bolts of making a living in those places, I I haven't you know, I haven't sussed out completely. But I know it could be possible. I I spent a lot of time in Italy. And a lot of time playing and touring in Italy. And it was an interesting dynamic that when I was an American going over there, there was this whole kind of romanticized notion of like, this is an American playing Americana music. It's like, it's the bona fide thing. Right. But then when I started like hanging out there a lot more, I was just another dude on the scene, you know, you know, who was working on his Italian, but there, I mean, there are lots of places that, are really nice you know the other thing about Austin is it's become a lot faster paced um, it's not the sleepy town it once was um, That's a and I you know I live right I, as you know Joel I, I live right in the middle of the South Congress area and I used to go out it was like South Congress was like cheers for me it was like I'd walk out the door and everyone go hey Dave <laughs> now, now I don't know who anybody is it's really bougie um, a lot of money has moved in. I don't really go out anymore, anyway. Well, certainly in the pandemic era, um, there's not much going out, you know. But uh, so well, it's definitely changed.
0: I'll tell you something I read the other day in a certain Facebook group that I won't mention their name, but you could probably guess. And um, it's, you know, basically about people moving here. And they kind of said, well, yeah, that's the way it is. It's like it happened to us. Now it's happening to you, you know, you're going to get priced out and that's because you're the hottest commodity and, and, you know, 15 years from now, some other city will be, and they just keep moving on and destroying, as it were, cities. But the thing that bothers me, I guess, is because we, you know, we always called ourselves the live music capital of the world and you're going to force all the musicians out because they can't afford to live here. They don't make you know, two hundred and fifty a year. Two hundred and fifty K, I should say. Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean absolutely and the fact like like the fact that there's not a transit system to speak of is really gonna hamstring Austin because pretty soon it's like parking downtown for a bus boy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gonna be thirty bucks. You know, and that bus boy's going and making maybe seventy five bucks for a shift. Maybe, maybe, you know, it's like, how are people going to do this? You know? Um, Yeah. So there's some, there's some growing pains ahead of the town that they really are going to have to see to, um, you know, and you look at the town right now, and I think there's probably 19 cranes in the Austin skyline and they're just putting up hotel and condo and downtown living. And they're trying to not be Houston. They're trying to not have, suburban sprawl and the white flight and then the the downtown collapsing in on itself and getting run over by gangs and drugs, you know, so they're, they're taking precautionary measures on that, but there could be some more care taken to, you know, like I keep on hearing it bantered about that. Like how about a free parking sticker for musicians that are having to work downtown, you know, just some things like that. Like if you really are going to make, Millions of dollars on the music industry in this town. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps there could be a little bit of back scratching going on. There already is, in terms of Ham and Sims, mm-hmm. fantastic. There, there's only one other town I know that has that, and it's Seattle. And it's because Ian Moore, who's from here, imitated the Ham model and started Seattle version of it. Um, you know, so there there, there has been, through the years, a very strong community feel with the musicians in town. Um, it's getting diluted a bit, but I'm also getting older, so.
1: <laughs> get off my lawn. <laughs> get off
2: my lawn, you kid.
1: <laughs> yeah, you too. We're going to have to get your T-shirts printed so you don't have to yell that all the time. <laughs> yeah, that could be the name of our next album.
2: Yeah, get off my lawn. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: so David, well, i think it's that time bob oh, hey, Should we start pestering him Absolutely. about those questions yeah yeah all right It's is fun you. games time
2: thank y'all. yeah thank you all so much for it was a inter- thoroughly enjoyable hour just hanging out and uh, talking about myself um
0: you're not done yet <laughs> <laughs> good luck um it's not
1: that easy but.
0: yeah so um obviously We have some that are funny and some that are a little philosophical, but we try to keep it lighthearted. Um, Mm -hmm. So since you've moved here, you know, other than traffic, which we always have to exclude that one because what's the biggest change you've seen? And it can be the personality of the city. It can be, you know, all the different stuff.
2: Definitely the personality of the city. Um, It's a very young city now, you know you don't see a lot of older people and when I'm talking about older people, I'm talking older, older, you know, like retirees and things like that, they've all moved out now, you know? Um, So it's a really young city. It's a very in in shape city, largely speaking. And there's lots of beautiful people running around. Um, And just recently though, with the whole homeless issue, that's another thing that's really grown in this town. Um, that's also kind of changed the shape of it too. They've allowing homeless people to camp within the Austin city limits um, and now all of a sudden we see the people that have been there the whole time they just weren't allowed to be in front of our faces. Um, and people are like, oh get this out of here that doesn't mean that it's the issues solved it just means that you've insulated yourself from it. Um, these are some of, yeah these are some of the things that have changed they're really good restaurants. Have come into town since I moved here. That's that's been on the up, and a lot of amazing musicians have moved here. I mean, it is thick with really really good musicians. A lot, see, the thing is, a lot of people who can't, who couldn't, didn't want to hack New York or San Francisco anymore. They came here, um, you know, um, and that's good because it raised, you know, the the rising tide lifted
0: a lot of boats, you know. So sure. those are some of the things. All right, next up, name your three favorite breakfast tacos. Oh,
2: yeah, location or just the contents? Both. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm a huge fan of the Taco Deli, the Dona Salsa. Um, I'm a really, really big fan of that. So. The taco deli tacos are, are good but mostly because of the doña there's a place called uh once over coffee on south first and there's uh there's a, like a mexican street taco truck called el primo um and it, his tacos are he's like he's like the yoda of- <laughs> <laughs> nice
1: so it's,
2: it's so good i also really like polvo's tacos what? because polvo's makes their flour tortillas by hand and they've got lard in them and that's the way they're supposed to taste. So those (laughs) those would be my three. Um, And I really like, you know, tacos. I'm just, I just like, I just like putting them in my face. So whichever one it is, I'm good.
0: Cool. So um, what do you do when you're not trapped in the house for a pandemic or recording an album or something. Where's places when you used to get to go places you like to hang out here in town? Um,
2: Well, when I would was more prone to going out a lot, I would um, I was, you know, go to the Continental Club all the time. Uh, It would be a walk from my house. Seaboys, which is Steve Wertheimer's new new adventure. I would go to that quite a bit. Um, Let's see. I used to years and years ago, go to the Elephant Room a lot more often. Uh, you know, it's the jazz venue in town. Um, so, I don't know, it, it would depend on what was what was playing. But I, I kind of quickly got into this thing when I was playing six, seven nights a week, um, teaching in town. If I had a night off, I, I'm not going anywhere, you know? And I don't actually really need to listen to music that night. I think I'd rather watch a movie, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> so there's a little bit of a balancing act along with that, you know?
0: All right. Well, I think we have one last question for you since All Austin's right. uh, motto is keep Austin weird. What is the weirdest thing you have seen since you have lived in Austin, Texas?
2: <laughs> um,
1: That's the typical response. By yeah. the- I always
0: love the reaction. We get to that question. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, there are lots of interesting people walking around, um, and that's always that's always fun. But I think one of the funniest things um, I see I've seen was just actually recently, a couple of years ago, somebody <clears throat> moved a house, you know, the whole house, mm-hmm. and put it on a massive wide trailer, right, and. I forget where they were taking it, Um, but the demolition slash removing company hadn't really planned it out very well. So they have it on this big, wide, low low bed, flatbed trailer, and they decide to go down Live Oak Street, which is about (laughs) three blocks from my house.
0: Aggressive. (laughs)
2: Aggressive. They decide to do this at two in the morning because I think they probably didn't have all the licensing and everything they needed. And it was just too big to go down that street. That street is a small street. And they started taking down people's trees, <laughs> phone wires, and they just freaked out. And they locked the cab with the cab running and
0: ran. ha, ha, ha. That house
2: sat in the middle of live oak
0: for a week. <laughs> I think I remember seeing that in the news. That and, was, <laughs> yeah, and it was a, it was a Halloween week. So
2: these people set up, made it into a haunted house in the middle of the street in downtown Austin. There was this haunted house, and people would just be sit there, and they were taking money from people. It wasn't even their house. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I just had to go look at it every day just because I was like, oh, my God, that's hysterical.
0: (laughs) Do you remember our wandering bar we used to have, the Cedar Door?
2: Oh, yeah. It's like, (laughs) what, how many locations, you know? Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting tidbit. Well, that's a real drinker's bar, eh? And an interesting tidbit is that is where the Mexican martini was invented.
1: Yep. Yep.
2: Um, basically, they just wanted to make their mar- margaritas look fancy. So they would pour their margaritas into martini glasses. But because the martini glasses were short, they would give you the whole shaker. Mm-hmm. So you pour it as you go. And then eventually they started adding olive juice and olives, you know. But, yeah, that's the, that's the birthplace of the Mexican martini. I'm not sure in what location it was born. Right, right, right. The cedar door.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, because the first time I got taken there, when it was right there at Lamar, you know, in that yeah. dirt lot, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. "How did this wind up here?" <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I know. I was I went to that location one time, and Samba Thistle showed up and played. And I don't know if you've seen Samba Thistle, but Samba Thistle is a local pipe band playing bagpipes oh nice and in a local brazilian samba school which all they do is play drums and they would get together and it would be like me 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 all while this was going on like <laughs>
0: I'm like, you guys are the best thing I've ever seen in my life. I'll have another Mexican martini, please.
1: (laughs) That's great.
0: Hey, so I have another question for you, since you're one of the few people that I know. I don't think Joel frequented the Continental Club that often. Maybe. In the mid-90s? I don't remember the
1: 90s. Yeah, I know. That's (laughs) what I was afraid of.
0: Yeah. Um, No, there was this band that used to come in from Houston all the time. And I'm sure you stumbled on them once or twice there. They were called Banana Blender Surprise. Oh, yeah. David Beebe. Yeah. Uh,
2: Conrad Chacroon. I play with Conrad. He was a drummer. I play with Conrad quite a bit. Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. No, So they used to have these, they used to do these weird challenges to themselves or something. Like they were like, we're going to play eight hours straight, no breaks, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you yeah, know, yeah. they'd have a sofa on the stage so they could sit down, yeah. you know, or something. Yeah, but they just—they'd
2: just... have a coffee maker, yeah, <laughs> and they brew coffee in the middle of the gig, and yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely.
0: I know the one of the yeah. wildest things I saw them do one night was it, they just would yell "switch" and then everybody moved over one instrument.
2: Yeah, musical chairs. Yeah, yeah. So that they was were fun. a lot
0: of they were a lot of fun. Yeah, those are always yeah. fun gigs. But... Yeah i figured you'd stumbled across one
1: some you had a friend who was thinking about moving to austin Mm -hmm. what would you tell them
2: um would say it's getting pretty full (laughs) i actually saw a t-shirt the other day that said welcome to austin population full um i would say that it's a great place and there are great people here um and it's treated me magnificently um I would, I mean, I would, I would suss out what their budget might be, and yeah. maybe give them some recommendations as to where they could kind of pinpoint a place. Especially if you want, like, there's no way I could buy anything within the Austin city limits anymore. You know, I just I can't as a musician. I did once upon a time, but then in a divorce, I ended up selling it. But um, but that was you know, fifteen, almost twenty years, yeah, fifteen or so years ago, um, and things were different you know so that would be what i would say i'd say welcome you know
1: okay well we've had several guests that said would say don't (laughs) yeah
2: well i mean it's like the it's the whole it's the whole south by southwest thing right like people, people come here in march and the town is on fire and there's all these people and it feels so good and the weather's fantastic and people are like this place is cool Let's move here. And then all the performers from Austin who are playing Austin, you know, South by Southwest are going, hey, y'all, thanks for coming to our city. Please don't move here.
0: (laughs) I know. I think they should. Anybody who's considering moving here should be required to spend uh, the second week of August here.
2: Bingo. Bingo. That's it. Because there are a lot of people who do, and then they get here, and it's like, the the 80th day of 103 degrees and they're like what is going on this place sucks everything's brown
0: there's no water anywhere i know <laughs> uh,
1: hey, this has been great fun
0: yeah we've
2: awesome enjoyed fun, it y'all. thank you so much for having me
0: yeah so um anything you want to plug
2: uh, my name is David Polkingham, P-U-L-K-I-N-G-H-A-M. I have a Patreon page, which you can look that up. Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I got a website. I got a Facebook page. Um, What's
1: your website address?
2: Uh, DavidPolkingham.com. Okay. Uh, and um, I've got, actually, here in the next six months, I'm going to be releasing two to three new albums, uh, projects that I've done. So, stay tuned I'm I'm uh I'm a generally mostly harmless nice guy
1: <laughs>
0: all right Joel anything you want to plug
1: uh yeah playing cow oh, February 13th at Solara winery nice awesome. isn't that um yeah.
0: where's that dripping Springs or is it past
1: I hope so I'm gonna uh, I'll, I'll plug it into Google Maps pretty sure it's off of Old uh on fitzhugh road in okay. Spring.
0: yeah uh-huh. all right awesome. excellent well yeah. we had a really good time appreciate you being here david and um so for everyone check out david's music you heard a couple of the clips here in the in the uh, podcast and hey if you think about it do me a favor because i never plug anything Please share this with a friend if you've enjoyed it and, uh, you yeah, know, let other people know about it because that's the way we're going to get more listeners and better guests and we, you know, you the guests keep getting better, folks. We're able to attract more people, you know, so anyway, I appreciate it and we'll see you next time on the Trail to Austin. Bye-bye.